Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today we'll be in conversation with Amy Cox. Amy is absolutely amazing. Amy's a mum of four, entrepreneur, award-winning teacher, education leader, play advocate, master's student and founder of PlayfulFamilies.com. Amy has been advocating play at home with families through her play squad and playful challenges. Amy's changing the world through her play therapy, bringing families closer and connected through play. Today we're chatting with Amy about playful families, play therapy, play squads, homeschooling and so much more. Welcome Amy, we are delighted to have you with us today. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and how you became so passionate about play and founded Playful Families Community? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast today. So um, I guess a little bit about me is that my background is actually, I am an award-winning teacher down under in Australia, but um, recently have moved away and started my own business, Playful Families. But uh, what happened was probably back almost 10 years ago, a little bit over 10 years ago now, in 2009, my husband, who was a teacher also, we actually moved to China for a year and for our first year of marriage and we taught at an international school. And this year was just so pivotal in, my, um, in the trajectory of my career because what happened in this year, I had beautiful three, four and five-year-old students uh, from all over the world. Like not one of these little beautiful people um, had English as their first language. And yet here I was as this award-winning teacher with all of my tools and tricks in my tool belt with all of these amazing things that I wanted to teach them, standing in front of them, not being able to communicate uh, with the same language as what they had. But what I realised in this year that took seed for my advocacy for play was that even although they all came from different countries and cultures and society, you know, all of the things were different. There was not one universal thing, except there actually was. There was one universal thing that each and every one of these children knew, despite coming from, you know, all the corners of all, all over the world. And that was play. They all innately knew how to play. It wasn't something I had to teach them. It wasn't something that their parents had to teach them. They just knew how to play. And so what happened throughout this year through, you know, a very carefully structured learning environment with, you know, we had lots of provocations set up, but these children blossomed, connected with each other and learnt, you know, learnt English and learnt to communicate. And it was in this year that really my advocacy for play took seat because I saw firsthand in that short period of time how utterly transformational it was on, on children's learning and development. And when I came back to Australia, had my beautiful four kids in five years. So, it was, you know, we sort of really quick. We, I went back to teaching in a part-time capacity but I was limited to what I, what, what I was able to do in that, you know, I had all of these research-backed ideas. I had all these knowledge about how important play was and yet I wasn't able to um, showcase it in the way that I wanted to and have that impact that I wanted to. And so um, my husband and I moved with our four beautiful people uh, to where we are now in the Pilbara in the northwest of Australia. Uh, and it was here that I decided that I really wanted to help parents see how powerful play was in their young children's lives. And not in a to-do way, not in a pressure way, but in a way that brings them closer and more connected as a family. And so that's sort of, in a really tiny nutshell, how I've sort of gone from you know, a teaching capacity to really helping parents find the joy and connection that exists in those day-to-day -day moments with young people. 
So yeah, there you go. <laughs> that, that wonderful. Now it's a global phenomenon, really. Playful families. I mean, I found playful families when I was living in Dubai, actually, first time. So yeah. we, we um, participated in one of your playful challenges with my, yeah. I had, at the time, I think I had just a baby and I had a seven-year-old. And so I've got a little bit more time in between, in between my little ones. But you're so right about the communication with my sons have been grown up in international schools where, and actually one of my sons went to a Chinese kindergarten and he would do be bilingual, half Chinese and half English. And so you'd have very few expat families. But one thing they always did do is that they could always play every nationality. They wouldn't be speaking anyway very much but they would always play with each other either parallel or together so it was always a wonderful thing to to watch so it's very close to my heart play mm. indeed but what i have to ask is i've just found out you're doing a master's in play therapy now this is extremely mm. exciting and i'd love to know well one with four kids and you know this massive <laughs> task you're already doing playful families what inspired you to take on this task Oh my goodness. I um, have bought the domain Dr. Amy Cox. I've had it for as long as I can remember. I um, did honours at uni and the research was something that really spoke to me. I loved being able to translate what I found and discovered through research into e like small steps and actionable things that we can implement um, into the day to day. And so ever since I was a teacher, ever since I graduated from university with all of my bits and pieces that I knew that I wanted to return to do my master's and then eventually my doctorate. And this year, my has obviously been quite a tumultuous year being 2020, but my, uh, it's also meant that my youngest is now four and she is part-time five days a fortnight at kindergarten. And so, you know, there's never going to be a, an ideal perfect time for these things. And so, I've started the journey back to, uh, well, not back to, but I feel like I'm coming home <laughs> in this degree. Um, yeah, to become a play therapist and really leverage my passion in a way that can help families in a greater capacity. So it's something I cannot tell you how much joy it is bringing me. And yeah, it is a delicious challenge navigating it with four beautiful kids and a business, but uh, look, I, this is my life's work. I will always be an advocate for play and the role it plays in families' lives. And this is my way of really being able to help serve my people and my communities in a deeper, in a deeper way. So, yeah. yeah. Amy, a lot of parents would be thinking, I have a nine-year-old. Why They don't play as much. You know, what's play for a nine-year-old rather or an 11-year-old? rather than um, looking at the task at hand. So um, I suppose with play therapy, how would you answer this with your, um, with parents that are a little bit more cynical of play with older children? I think this is the thing that happens, isn't it? Like, but can yeah. I, I'm going to just like flip this question back to you. Like how many times a day would you think that the average four-year-old laughs? Like on an average day, how many times a day would you say the average four-year-old laughs? Oh, I don't know, a lot. A four-year-old should laugh all the time. A happy, safe, supported four-year-old, in my opinion, should be laughing all the time, every hour. Yes. A lot. Yes. I mean, but, the, but that's the thing. It's a happy, safe, secure four-year-old mm. with a nice environment behind it, depending on all those factors. Mm. And, if um, and, you know, it has been a hard year for a lot of people. So yeah. some parents are anxious, which goes on to children and then goes on to teachers i mean you know it's, it's been a yeah. fun year, but in theory i would say oh more than once an hour i know my my two and a half nearly three-year-old he's always he giggles a lot 
Yes. So according to like a research study done by psychology today, like the average four-year-old laughs between three and 400 times a day. Now, obviously in this current climate that, you know, this potentially has changed, but why I'm posing that question is that's the average four-year-old laughs that many times a day. Now, as we grow, obviously our interests change and we get more stressed and all these sorts of things. And by the time, like, for example, the average 40, four zero year old current climate, depending, but how many times a day would you think that they laugh? The average 40 year old. 40 year old. I think you might have a joker, um, <laughs> you know, quite a lot, but in general, probably, oh, they should, I don't know, once an hour. Yeah. So according to the same study, it's between four and 17 times a day. So on one hand, we've got this curious four-year-old that laughs all the time. And then as we grow older and change, the number of times that we are laughing is decreasing. Now, why I'm saying this is because as adults, we really, you know, come on to our, especially as they move through early childhood to middle childhood, but it's like, we've got to get serious now, you know, let's start becoming serious, doing all, you know what I mean? There's this really, there's this mindset shift that happens. And so what I help families do, and this is one of the huge reasons why I love play therapy is to see the value in playing for enjoyment in playing for our mental health um, as well. And so um, I'm all about starting with interest-led things. And so for, you know, my son, <laughs> you know, we've obviously got to balance that with our, other, with our other things that they have to get done after school and all that sort of thing. But we try to start from where they are interested in and meet them where they are in order for them to still experience that joy and just, and, and, and not, because of an outcome, but just because it's enjoyable. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Going through a task. But do you find that, did you have um, parents from older children contact you more saying that they sort of lost the joy of play? Absolutely. My, the, the primary, um, we've recently changed our name from um, Playful Little Learners with a focus on the younger children now to Playful Families. So it contextualises the whole family unit. And I really wanted to do that. So to be able to address this exact thing, because it's this play is seen as this thing that's just limited to the early childhood years. And yet there's this huge body of research that, that says how important unstructured free play is mm. for all children, not just in that little tiny early childhood pocket of um, time and in this like highly scheduled outcome driven, busy, busy, busy society, I truly, truly believe that we need to be allocating more time for our children just to be, um, to be and to be, and um, that's one of the reasons why we've started moving into playful families where we can sort of encompass this whole holistic uh, idea of of a family. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, with play therapy, how's it helped you with your own children? Have, I mean, obviously you've been, um, you've been excellent anyway, but how's it helped you with your own children to understand how, because you've got four different personalities and four different little minds wanting different things. So how's it helped you with your little ones? Oh my goodness. I just think in a way like this two, two things have happened. The first thing that is actually a byproduct of doing play therapy, play therapy isn't actually in what I'm learning, but it's about my children seeing me lit up 
by something that is beyond them. Like I love my children. I would do anything for my children, but I'm actually a human in my own right, with my own interests, with my own pursuits. And I think for me, one of the most beautiful side effects of doing play therapy is them seeing the joy in learning. <laughs> like, it breaks my heart when I hear parents talking about their children crying over learning because oh, learning is just the greatest gift. And as humans, we are curious. We are literally designed to question, to discover, to innovate, to do all of these things. And yet it is this thing that can has, um, especially in this current climate with home learning and everything like this happening, it's this like anxiety inducing thing. Oh no, I don't want to learn. Oh my goodness. And I just want my children to see me with a textbook, with words that they can't even begin to what know how to pronounce thinking oh my goodness and it's covered in highlights and oh like talking with passion about the fact that yes in this world there are so many things that you can discover and when you find something that you love it is just the most incredible gift and i think for me that's been such a beautiful side effect because um, as an entrepreneur like my kids already see me creating things that don't exist but as a mother it's really important that they see that learning is this beautiful like part of the um, fabric of our lives and the flow on has been beautiful to see them pursuing their own uh, interests. But that's definitely been a side effect that I didn't anticipate. Um, but of course, learning about theory and attachment parenting and all of those things that are so central to um, like play therapy has also been just a really lovely um, affirmation that what we believe in, what we're doing, it's actually backed by research and the way my husband and I parent. Uh, I think that as a parent, you so often can question, am I doing it right? And there's all these external forces, but I think um, we, the way we parent aligns beautifully with us and our family. And it's lovely to have that research to back that up. <laughs> no, that is nice. You're right. Learning is a lifelong skill. I mean, we're all learning even you know, even now I'm learning new things every day. I'll learn a lot from this conversation too. And, you know, whether I, and I'll use it for, to my, for my own children or for work, you know, there's so many different things, but I think one of the main things is it plays, it teaches children persistence as well. They have to keep going with the task. You know, it doesn't always work and they problem solve critical thinking and all these different things that you don't really get from a textbook sometimes. No, that's it. And do you know what? I, this is another reason why I just am so passionate about my, like encouraging this pers persistence and resilience in our kids. Cause I read a statistic the other day that said 80%, so eight zero percent of our children's future occupations. So what they're going to be when they grow up, 80% of these haven't been invented. They have not been <laughs> invented. So rather than like force feeding our kids things, we think we, we think they should know we want to be developing this skill of being inquisitive, like testing, hypothesizing, researching, because that's what their future is going to be. It's all about innovation. It's all about uh, creating things that haven't exist that don't even exist. I think when I said that, I thought if that isn't oh something to motivate people to encourage this in our children, I don't, I don't know what it is to be honest. So. <laughs> So I'm going to ask you, what's next? Are you going to do a PhD after this or are you just going to get through this one first? No, the PhD is definitely on the card. Yes, absolutely. I was on the phone to my lecturer 
um, just with our with what we've created because um, I've created a number of programs play squad and the smile connection that um, I've created some unique methodologies within that and I can actually you know backdate lots of what I've done when I eventually get to that part of my um, my degree and my, eventually my PhD and use that research um, and the outcomes that I've had through my programs to form part of my doctorate because I've got a very unique, like my interest base, I'm very interested in play, I'm very interested in mental health, I'm very, very interested in matrescence, which is, which is the transformation that a woman goes through when she becomes a mother and the impact that her self-identity and awareness has on um, raising her beautiful people. And so what I'm, I'm going to be doing with my doctorate is tying all those and also the impact that social media has on our perceptions of self in, yeah, in a research study. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. really interesting. I mean, if it's a few years time, you'll be able to get a lot more because there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uptake for young mums and becoming bloggers and influencers now. And actually, you know, it's, I suppose this brings me on to the next question, which is I love the connection, not perfection line that you have with playful families. Mm. And, you know, when I look at the toy rotation, sometimes and I look at my own toy room, I think, wow, you know, mine's always looking like a hurricane, two and a nine year old mm -hmm. running through it, hurricane, but they have the time of their life. And, you know, at the end of the day, we're picking it up or they're picking it up. And it's not the best time of our best day, part of our day, because they don't always love that part that they, they like bringing it out and playing with it. But I suppose that's, you know, when you come and look at all this social media and stuff, it looks perfect. And I think, wow, mine never looks like that. I think this is the thing about um, our, this generation of parents. And I think that this is something that we really do need to reflect on sometimes because previous generations haven't been privy to what happens behind closed doors. Okay. But our generation of parents, we are privy to more. And it's the real, the R-E-E-L, the, the highlight, the highlight, of, you know, the curated social media reel. <laughs> and this is why, part, and, and, and honestly, this is part of why, what has spurred me to go down this path because um, that's sort of how I started like we had this challenge account called early learning 101 and we were sharing ideas and we noticed this trend um, you know through the course of the 18 months that we ran it and we've got you know there's like 150,000 photos that have been tagged on Instagram with this hashtag so it's sort of it's been this thing that's sort of taken on its path of its own but what we noticed this trend was that it stopped being about that beautiful chaos, you know, that beautiful chaos that just happens when our children are naturally engaging in their environment and it became more curated. And honestly, that broke my heart because I was sharing, you know, the little snapshots of those things. But yet, and yet people didn't have that insight. They didn't have that educational background to see that beauty and what's actually happening in the chaos. And that's a huge reason why I just took the foot totally off you know, social media and started pouring it into like the members and the people within my smaller communities I work with and why I keep saying connection, not perfection, because the idea like this curated reel of ideas is something that we can internalize and makes us think like we need to things to look like that. And those beautiful mirror neurons in our brains actually can that can actually like we look at these things and think that that's what our children should be doing and so when they're playing they must be doing it wrong because it doesn't look like these picture perfect highlight you know on these highlighted reels and so part of what I do is you know ask parents like how would I respond to this if my goal was connection and really 
encourage them to lean into the unique dynamic of their family before looking externally um, for ideas. So, yeah, yeah, did that answer the question? <laughs> no, it's absolutely perfect. Look, 2020, I've been in the um, home learning with my seven-year-old and my, well, home, my two-year-old's just play-based, but uh, no, sorry, he's nine. I can't keep thinking it. Nine and two. Mm. That we've been at home, they were at home for seven months this year. So, and we're all working from home, very chaotic and stuff like that. So we definitely, 2020 has been, definitely wouldn't have ever been a, it's been my chaos year actually. But you know, as a mom, it's actually made me think about how we were playing differently. Cause I think I probably got caught up in a lot of the, just the perfection of looking at little things rather than and cause it's your job as well. Like we're, you know, we're always looking at learning through play and we're looking, we develop, the way that we develop toys is the way that we look at educational experiences behind it. So they're not always the most beautiful looking things. So aesthetically, then we have to change it. So when mm. we look at a toy, we open-ended toys and how would they use it? So the toy's not playing for the child, the child's playing for the toy. And that's mm. where sometimes we will not always get the highest sales because we look at, say, the actual child and where they're going to be using the toy rather than pushing a button and the toy doing everything for them. Mm. And you know what, Heather, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a food, she's in the food, like she's a um, naturopath and she was saying this exact thing because she develops recipes healthy, like her, her name's Georgia and for, she has this thing called Well Nourished and she was saying to me, she's like, Amy, I really want people to eat my food but in order for them to do that, they need to see how nice it looks and styling is is an important part of you know, encouraging people to do it. And I think that there's this, this delicate balance between um, making things look appealing and appealing to that visual nature and yet just encapsulating the chaos and the incredible learning that happens just naturally when we engage with open-ended toys. So I'm totally feeling that. I literally was having this conversation with her the other day. Yeah. Yeah, but it is this advocacy of figuring out how, and it's also, so children used to at the moment I find that they get everything now so it's a very busy life as you're saying before and so they think that they're just going to look at the toy it's going to start doing something magical rather than you then would have to sit down just you know start something small and then they'll take over you know it might be something where we have to prompt rather than just you know th putting it in front of them and thinking they're going to do something sometimes you know if they haven't had that experience or if they've always had screens or anything like that and you're, then you're trying to completely turn their world upside down which let's hope they haven't had screens. I'm sure a lot of children have had a lot more in the last few months though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially with, I know that some, someone was saying the other day that their child as a, I think she was in year two. So around about seven or eight, she had three and a half, four hours every day on Zoom. Mm. Now, I'm a trained teacher. You're a trained teacher. I couldn't keep a child, a seven-year-old on Zoom for four hours straight. Could you? No, I saw something. Uh, on, oh, it's just, yeah, it's just this year. It's just, Oh my goodness! It's, <laughs> so it's just so challenging for everybody. I just, I truly feel for teachers when oh, that challenge. Honestly, it's done the best job. It's it's what everyone puts down as well. Listen, I want to ask you a question about your play squad. So I, you know, I'm a fellow mum, and we all want to hear about your play squad and how that we can get involved. I know that I've done your playful challenges sometimes, and it's actually just help me with ideas when I've been stuck or when I've been too busy and things. So how can people around the world get involved with your play squad community? Oh, thank you so much for this. Yeah. So I, um, over the last few years, we've run these things called the playful challenge and what essentially that is, it's just a methodology or a structure that I've developed 
for parents to really lean into the unique dynamic of their family, what's happening with their children and, and encourages them to follow their interests. And I always say create that force field. So when they look at social media, they're not like, oh my gosh, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing enough. And my children's not exposed to enough. Cause we always have that, you know, when I have this toy or when my children, you know, are sleeping through or, you know, whatever the thing is, then, you know, they'll be able to play for longer or then they'll be able to do all these things. And so, the playful challenge really was just to introduce people to this sort of new way of looking at childhood. And uh, on the back of these, we often open the doors to our play squad membership. So, uh, so what essentially what it is, it's just a community of mums who want to find that joy connection and playfulness in the day to day with their little people ditching perfection and embracing <laughs> and embracing connection. And so um we only take on board members a couple of times a year just because there's so much love that goes in. <laughs> just love my play squad members. Um, but if you have a look on my website, you can uh, playforfamilies.com, you can jump on the wait list and yeah, we'll notify you next time the doors are opening. So yeah. Fantastic. Well, that brings it. So there's another, another thing you also refer to, which I haven't heard very often, which is the unicorn parenting. It's something yeah. I haven't come across. I would love to know what it means. I can, I can think of what it means, but I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot of sayings, Heather. So, like, once you hang around me for a little while, you'll you'll hear the same things on repeat over and over and over again. Connection, not perfection. Perfection is a unicorn. I think um, so often, and this ties in with this idea of matrescence that I bring as well to um, I, I teach people about within my place school community. Is this like transition becoming like so? This you know transition from being a woman to becoming a mother. We often have these ideals of what we thought it was going to be like. And I don't know about you, but as a teacher, I could say without, before I had kids, I knew what sort of people my little, you know, I knew what sort of children I would have. They would be able to do all these things and they'll be reading before they go to school and all the things. Um, but the thing about uh, this idea of unicorn parenting, it's rather than starting from what you wish it was like or what you wish you would be like or what you wish your children was like. It's about ditching this, notion this i you know this unicorn <laughs> and really leaning into the unique dynamic of your children not as you want them to be not as how you thought they would be but actually as they are and one of my interests is um i don't know if you've read any of daniel siegel's um whole brain child and i dropped like all of his beautiful books but there's this idea of, of of attachment theory but this idea of interpersonal neurobiology and what it is all about it's about how um, in terms of connectedness to our kids, if they are feeling felt. So if we are coming and interacting with our children from this idyllic version of who we wish they were, instead of actually seeing them for who they are, then we're actually distorting that connection between them. Um, and this is why I was like, perfection is a unicorn, because like actually leaning into who your child is, then and only then are we able to unlock their potential. Um, without being, you know, swayed by external influences, whether that is like how you thought it was going to be or what you're seeing on social media or how your mother-in-law says it should be. Like you're actually focusing on who you are right now, not who you are five years ago, not who, you know, you thought you'd be and who your child is in this very moment. And what yeah. they like. Uh, I like that. Have you ever seen it went viral on social media? It was something about, I think it's from the book of Chicken Soup and it was about a mother. Oh, talking, Chicken Soup. Yeah. And, and was sorry. It was it about a mother talking to her um, daughter about when she told her she was pregnant and she was a beautiful, her daughter always had her nails done, her hair done and everything. And it's this poem that just says to her, 
you know, life is going to change so much. And it was talking about there'll be no more of the nail bars, there no more of this. It was just like a, you know, like the way that life changes. A lot of people didn't even have that before, but it was one of these, it was a beautiful way to put uh, the transition to parenting. I'll find it and I'll actually email it through to you because I think it's just, it, it actually, exactly what you're saying now, it's just, it changes exactly, it changes what you're thinking. It changes everything when you become a parent. So, my, I mean, my children didn't come out with a rule book or even, a, you know, any sort of instructions at all. And the first, my, um, we always called my first child the fire rocket because he came out like a rocket and he just kept going. He's, I think if he probably went into a lot of different, if he had the wrong teachers or he went to the wrong schools, they probably would have had me, had him looked at for ADHD or something like that. However, with a lot of sport and a lot of attention, he's actually a very calm child now. Mm, but this, no. is the, this is the most beautiful thing about starting where they are because you're able to meet them there and cater for who they are, not for who you wish that they would be. And I think that it's such a delicate balance with, and it's like, a, you know, a, a rolling the dice really with the sort of teachers that you get. And that's why one of the conversations I always have with the teachers at the beginning of the year is just please see my child for who they are. Like we are, we are actually really relaxed uh, in terms of we don't drive curriculum down their throat. We're not in a race. We're not in a race to hurry through childhood. We just, we want their unique little talents and interests to shine in whatever way that is and to have someone actually go back to this interpersonal point about neurobiology like actually seeing them um because my eldest was exactly the same he's a pocket rocket and i we <laughs> called him we nicknamed him forest for forest gump because he, <laughs> he kept running <laughs> running oh my goodness but now he you know he's, a, he's very athletic he loves like australian rules footy because it's just you know, he's able to outrun almost anybody because that's just He'll be the centre. He'll be the centre. They run a marathon when they start. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right, yeah. Um, no, it's been really interesting because he has he has calmed down. But if you saw him when he was at his international school in Dubai many years ago, we had the right teacher and she definitely catered for him. She was just one of the most amazing teachers I've ever had. I think she's actually back in the UK now. But um, it's just she went to his level and she helped him in every way possible. Whereas if we had the wrong teacher at that really critical age, he was only about five or six, it would have gone the other way. So we're very thankful for that, actually. As oh. parents. But listen, I've got a question for you. And this is about homeschooling because, you know, we've been off for six months. So my children have only just gone back the last couple of days. And, you know, hopefully we're back till the end of the year, but you never know in this current environment. But in the UK, USA and other parts, even in Australia, actually, I know that my niece was actually off as a fellow Aussie. She was off for a few months in March and April. And I was just wondering, do you have any advice for parents worried about, you know, lost academic learning for primary mm. and early years? Oh my goodness. I, I'm potentially the wrong person to ask. I, we've got another one of the things I say all the time is just, do, you know, do what you can with what you have in the time yeah. you've got. And the reality is of what's happened in this year. It's not just your child. Like so often we can be very like, Oh my gosh, you know, it's just them that's lost all this time, but it's actually not. It's, you know, almost the whole world is in exactly the same boat. And so I think what's most important at this time is just supporting and seeing the kids for like exactly where they are right now and just getting their confidence back up um, and just to help with that transition back to formal school, if that's what's happening. How, how have your kids gone back actually in the last few days? Have they 
have yeah, they been okay? They're in bubbles. So they're in bubbles. Yeah. They're both at very small schools, so it's okay. And we live out of the big city. So we sort of, like you, we moved out. So we moved quite far out. So we're sort of in the country in a village. And so mm. we, did, we managed to get into a much smaller school. But it was funny, you know, I was speaking to a lady called Dr. Sarah Mundy two, um, probably two weeks ago. And she specialises in children from trauma and things like that. And she talks mm. and she says, it, and adopted children, foster children. And she said, actually, it's, it's the ones that are in secure environments now have really thrived because they've, mm. they've had the time with the time and the love from the parents, which they wouldn't have had when they were younger. Mm. it's been a really interesting whereas you've got a lot of vulnerable that maybe didn't have access to food I mean there's been a whole different ball game you know there's lots of different sides to look at but you know I know with my own children they're now a little bit more creative because we do a lot of outside play making dens I do painting with hands feet anything we can find bubble wrap whatever we can find if they don't like it on their feet we put all sorts of so my children have become a little bit more creative we're not as structured I suppose. Mm. So it's going to be really, I don't see it as lost academic learning for my children, but I know that the research is ours and a lot of people and a lot of parents are like, oh, they've lost six months. What are they going to do? So you're hearing this a lot all over the news, all over social media. I can understand mm. for like your A-levels and so your GCSEs, your, um, what do you call it in Australia now? The, the last... Oh. You yeah, like, the last year. Oh gosh, yeah. I, I want to say TEE, but that might be <laughs> that might be twenty years ago when I was going through there. Yeah, there well, are mine was called something like VCE or HSC, so mm-hmm. that's even <laughs> just as long. <laughs> <laughs> so as a fellow Aussie, but um, yeah, but it's been really interesting actually because you know for my and my youngest child is very nonverbal. So in the last six months, he's actually become very verbal of being at home mm. with us and having his brother, and they've become really close. It's been actually a very interesting dynamic. The change. For my children, actually, let's see how, let's see what, what all the positives that do come out. Mm. Um, and I, I also think with the home learning thing, I mean, although I know, and some people will have, you know, other commitments like work and all that sort of thing, but you think about your child in a group situation with, uh, in a classroom, like they're one of many, you know what I mean? They're one of however many and at home that is significantly reduced and I think that when you try to flip and, I, and again I'm a I'm a I'm an eternal optimist Tether but when I <laughs> thought about home learning that's how I look at it I'm like oh my goodness we've gone from like a one to 24 ratio to a one to four ratio and um I don't know and I agree with you when there's that slower pace and and like more creativity and open-ended you know open-ended projects that's something we found us um we were doing more and more of as well so did you have yeah. lockdown in the in where you are now? Did you have your kids off for a period of time, or it wasn't too bad? Because I know that WA and in Australia, it's different. They closed borders, so they sort of stopped a lot of this. Yeah, so we are in WA, so the borders have been hard, like closed hard for a number of like for a long time. We, um, I think, I feel really terrible saying this because I know people have had months and months, but we probably had about three weeks, I think, of um, lockdown, like uh, up here. Um, so it hasn't been, but we were back uh, in term two. But again, we are literally like thousands of kilometres away from the nearest. <laughs> like we, I'm red dirt, sort of, you know, three traffic lights in our town sort of place. <laughs> so we're isolated anyway. Um, yeah, so everyone so. would know if anyone's got COVID in your village. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, they would, they, they, the fingers would be pointing. <laughs> he's, been, you know, he's, but, he's walked out of the village. Listen, I just, I know I'm very conscious of time and I just want to know what are the top three things you'd suggest to do with children to prepare them back to the transition of learning or for school? Oh my goodness. Look, to be honest, I feel like it's just, and again, I'm preventative rather than well, proactive rather than um, reactive. So just thinking about your morning routines, like what are we going to do in those mornings to make sure our children are feeling connected and loved and secure. And I know that the second that the, that early start time starts happening, we're going to get them out the door and go to lunch and get your shoes and all the things. So <laughs> how can, but you know, like this is when it starts again. So how can you create a flow for your mornings um, and being proactive? So for, for our family, we have little charts of the, you know, little picture images of the things that they and it's not fancy. It's just literally me hand drawing them, but the sort of steps that are involved for the morning and it's something like having breakfast dishes in the sink teeth brushed uniform on shoes on you know socks on shoes on bags packed sort of thing so having some sort of visual prompt just to help them with that morning because really well you know how it is in the morning if you're rushed and you're yelling and you're struggling to get out of the door on time you're going to feel that stress and so how can we create uh, a flow of the morning to sort of help them you know that part of the day go smoother so that would probably be my first um the first thing i would suggest um something else would be um and i don't have my video and i would show you because i've literally got one on my hand today but because you, you know returning back to school after such a long time of being with your parents like my children especially my third daughter um she struggled a little bit with that separation from me so if that is your child as well my goodness i see you but we've um, we have this little thing called the magic heart where we just draw, oh, yeah. written, we've written a little, I've written a book about it actually. And you just draw a little love heart on their, on their hand, you draw a run on yours and you charge it up by just tickling them and cuddling them. And just again, I'm all about connection, Heather. So that whole idea of connection, not perfection. And so that's something that we've always done in the mornings, especially if they're feeling a bit worried because, you know, if they feel worried in the day, they can just squeeze their little heart and know that mum or dad always comes back. Um, so definitely those sorts of things I would be, um, yeah, I would definitely be incorporating into my day if, yeah, with the transition back to school. Yeah. Well, we haven't had any separation. I think my children have just been happy to be back with their friends so far. Even my two yeah, yeah. We haven't had too much. I think they're okay at the moment. Let's see in about three weeks time when they're tired and they're mm -hmm. sort of wanting to be back at home and the novelty's worn off. I think at the moment it's a very much a novelty to have um, a lot of people around them. But listen, mm -hmm. as, you know, as a mum of four, you've got four and five years. I'm very impressed with that. I'm actually one of four and five years and I'm a twin though. So there are only three pregnancies there. Um, look, if we're looking at home learning in the future, do you have any tips for parents and caregivers struggling with multiple ages? Because that's something that you would have had, even though you've got a teaching background, you've got amazing, but, you know, I think, say, for the, for the average parent and caregiver. Do you know what? Um, one of the first things I will say uh, is it's just about what are you thinking about it? Like, what, how is your mindset positioned? Because I think so often, if we make this huge thing, oh my gosh, it's so hard, I'm going to learn, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to get it right, like, like, we can actually, our anxiety can start and our worry can start without anything even happening. And so I would just check in with what are you making this mean? Like, are you making it mean it's going to make or break the sort of person that they become? And just really leaning into actually what are the things that are going on in your own mind? Um, 
I think that would be the first thing. Um, the second, again, again to, with the mindset, I would actually look at it through the lens of, okay, well, they're going from a many, you know, one to many to a one to few. So having uh, that positive sort of outlook on, okay, well, you know, obviously it's not ideal, you, you know, if you wouldn't choose it, you wouldn't choose it. However, this is just what it is. But now we've got this opportunity and rather than seeing it as a negative, oh my gosh, I have to, like reframing that into like, I get to work with my children with different ages. I get to discover what they're interested in. I get to um, help deepen their relationships with each other as well. And uh, so once sort of we get over that mindset stuff, which really you wouldn't think would have an impact, but there's so much research to suggest that yes, it actually does. Once we, once we look at these sorts of things within our own minds, then we can look at our children and thinking, okay, well, actually, what are they interested in? And even although they might have to sit and do all the worksheets or whatever, like how can we actually cater for their interests? Like if you've got, you know, an older child that's, you know, loves like my older guy, like loves footy or, you know, loves being physical outside. How can you, how can you incorporate that? with what the younger children do can so we would in our um in our when we were doing home learning it was all about the project and okay my um you know son would make up footy games and record them and turn them into a story and read them to his younger siblings and so there was this aspect of it wasn't like okay well you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this it was like what are we going to do and how can um and actually put the responsibility uh like in, in a brainstorm back on their shoulders like okay well you know what how could we help um, you know, my, my daughter who was six, so what can we do as a, as a, as a family? And so then we'd all do the brainstorm and come up with the things. And my, you know, my nine-year-old would be like, well, I'm really good at, you know, reading. So I can, you know, we can do that together. And sort of, cause I'm so big on autonomy, Heather, like actually it, it like, it doesn't need to be this, you're the teacher and they're the, you know, children. It can be this we thing, you know, we're a collective. Um, and so for me, that was, that was how we did it. And it, to be honest, like similarly to your children, like the kids loved it. <laughs> they were like, mom, can we just go back to your school? You know, because it was, yes, we got the things done that they needed to get done, but it was also about them deepening the connection and helping each other as well. So. Oh, it's really yeah, lovely. It's, it's, it's the perspective. It's just changing your perspective. We were all in it together. So in the UK and the USA at the moment, a lot of them are in it together as well. So it was definitely, but I mean, the thing that disappointed me a little bit was when people, I'd hear people doing six, seven hours on Zoom and there'll be three or four or five. And I'd actually be thinking, how do you actually get them to sit still? One as a teacher or as a parent. I mean, my, neither of mine would sit, my nine-year-old wouldn't sit still for three hours on Zoom, let alone my three, two, nearly three-year-old. There's no way. So it'll be quite interesting. So let's see how it all goes. But look, I'm very conscious of time. I'm doing school uh, drop-off soon and you're going to be doing school pickup. So um, <laughs> as, as a mum, but look, can you let your listeners know how to get in touch with you and if they want advice or how do you do consultancy or if they want to have some fun ideas, you know, the best way to even have a chat with you or get in touch. Absolutely. So my website is playfulfamilies.com 
and we are actually, I'm not sure when this is airing, but we are launching or relaunching. I've tried a couple of times, but now we've got all, lots of systems in process to launch my Playful Connection podcast mm -hmm. where I'll be, um, yeah, really helping curious, self-aware parents ready to find more joy in the day-to-day -day. and we'll be talking to experts, unpacking some of the things we've talked about on here. So that that can be found on my website, playfulfamilies.com and also my Instagram, playful, at Playful Families and on Facebook at Playful Families with Amy. Amy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. And please let us know when you launch the podcast. We, we would love to advocate it for you. I'm sure we're going to have lots of teachers and parents and families and caregivers that would love to hear from you because you've got such great ideas. And also, the, I bet they're all going to be lining up to um, get on the wait list for the, play, the Playful Challenges, the Play Squad, because I have enjoyed it. I've done many of them. Even if I haven't always written back and said it, I have done many of them with my family. So I would say thank you very much, Amy. You're doing an amazing job. Good luck with your master's. I think it's a great feat and I look forward to reading about your PhD next. Ooh, thanks so much for having <laughs> me. I appreciate it. There are so many relevant topics right now and we would love to hear from you. So please get in touch and subscribe to our podcast, Education Tips from the Experts with EDX Education, which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, TuneIn and so many more channels. My name is Heather Welch from EDX Education. Let's all stay safe.